uses to teach his disciples. And so this morning, uh, for some of you, it's, it's probably one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, something we've heard of a lot before. Um, but I want to look at it this morning and uh, approach it with this desire, this attitude that many of us or most of us have a, a deep desire, a longing to be more connected, to feel the presence of Jesus more in our lives. And what happens often is we just develop routines and habits and even our prayer life just begin to fade away. And so, honestly, I think one of the most dangerous things that can happen the longer that you're a Christian is you just begin to develop patterns of, uh, of your prayer life where it's just you're copying other people and doing other things and saying the same things and praying the cliches that at one time were really good things and they just kind of become empty, meaningless things. And so the goal is just to kind of like do a recheck. And early on in the relationship with Jesus and the disciples, one of the most important things he says to them is, I want to teach you how to pray. And the disciples even say that. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And we see really when we look at the life of Jesus that he spends most of his time in private prayer. He does do a lot of public praying, but most of his time is on his personal prayer life. And so we want to talk about this morning about how Jesus wants to teach us to pray. And the Lord's Prayer, while it is a beautiful prayer and it's written obviously in just a very deep and meaningful way, it isn't intended to be something that we just have to recite. It's a pattern. It's a model. But there are some really significant and interesting things that we need to identify. And so this morning we will look at verses 9 and 10 and we will look at the focus of why worship comes first. Okay, why does worship come first? Um, I came across a really interesting quote. Um, can we put that up, Jesse? Um, from Emerson, and it says this, A person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations, our thoughts, will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. And that's, um, that's really close to what Jesus is saying here. And, and as we look at the Lord's Prayer, um, yes, Jesus wants us to ask us for things, but before we get to that point, he's going to say some really important things about worship. Okay, So just as a context reminder, briefly we'll talk about some of the a danger of prayer, our approach to prayer, and then why we start with worship. Okay? The danger in prayer, our approach to, to God in prayer, and then why do we have to start with worship? So, Jesus begins with this warning about prayer, and the warning about prayer is that we just use Jesus to get what we want. We can have two different attitudes, really, in our approach to prayer. One is, um, I'm just going to ask God for things, and basically what I'm saying is, I'm going to have this little business transaction with you, God, and, and hopefully that if I do the right thing, that I'll get my request. So one person would say something like this, I have goals and dreams for my life, I have hopes, I have expectations, I want to accomplish things, I want a great marriage, I want great children, I want to do all these things, I want to travel. 
But then our attitude is, God, what do I have to do to accomplish these goals? Do you want me to go to church once in a while? I'll do that. Read my Bible when I, it's convenient, it fits my schedule, I can do that. I can throw in $10 in the offering when that time comes. I can even try to clean up my life a little bit. And then we say, now God, it's your turn. Help me accomplish my dreams. God, give me my dreams. And what's really happening here is just, it's a business transaction. That's what Jesus warns about when he talks about in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. It's a performance-based prayer that we hope that God will respond and talk to us and answer us based on how well we perform. And so that is just, that is really kind of the wrong approach. It's not even kind of, it is the wrong approach. And really I think what Jesus is doing here, he's contrasting two different ways in which we relate to God. One way, as he mentioned last week, it's a business transaction. We play this game with God and we hopefully he'll help us accomplish our goals and dreams. So that is the warning about prayer. That we think that if we put a couple of the tokens in and, we, and then we push the button that God will act and treat us the way we want. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. And so the approach that Jesus says, which is really is tremendously significant, is the phrase, our Father. And we talked about this last week a little bit, and we'll talk about just briefly this morning, just a little bit. Um, we think about this just for a second, about how we approach people. Um, we live here uh, in Malibu near the beach, and one of the things that we'll was even asked of uh, Karen this morning on her run. She was out running and a stranger approached her and said, how do I get to this place? So that's okay, right? You can ask, there are certain questions that we can all ask to strangers that are appropriate. If a, a stranger walks up to me and asks me if they can use my truck, I'm gonna say no. There's, there's no context, okay? If a friend asks me to use their truck, then sure, you can use my truck. And depending on what the request is, what does it require? requires a closer connection or requires uh, something that you have in common. It's really interesting here too as if um, about 14 years ago when Karen and I first moved here and um, began surfing certain places, it became clear early on that I was not welcome at some places. All right? And um, I got what, I guess, I don't know, I got we call the stink eye, right, from people that you're not welcome here. But then what happened is, it's really interesting, just the, uh, part, not, all, not everyone's like this, but part of the culture for some people. I met a couple people and then I'd say, oh, so-and-so told me to go surf here. And they'd say, oh, so-and-so, oh, come on in, you're in, you're welcome now. So how we approach people, who we know, who we have in common, radically changes things. What Jesus is saying is that we are to pray as if we are in. We are in the family of God. One of the hardest things um, as people who are created to be together and social and in community is to feel outside. If you don't feel connected, if you feel like you're isolated, if you, you feel like you're not part of the group, it's very difficult. And Jesus is saying something really, really profound and significant by saying, pray this way. Pray our Father. You are in. If... If, as in John chapter 1, if you believe this, here's what John says in John chapter 1, verse 12. 
but as many as received him, to them he gave power. He gave the legal status to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Jesus is saying this, that if you have received Christ, if you believe on his name, you have a new position. You have new rights. You have new privileges as a child of God. And what happens is we don't fully grasp or understand the implications of that. Okay, here's maybe one example that might help. Um, when the boys were little and um, we'd put them in the jog stroller and go for a walk or something and we'd give them a grape or something like that. And they would have a grape, and then they'd drop it, and it'd roll in the dirt, and they'd be like, oh, okay, we don't want it. And they'd, but we'd, be, we'd have like, okay, here's a big thing of grapes. There's like 30 of them, okay? But they're like, no, I want that grape. I want that one, right? But we're like, no, look here. We've got like 30 brand new ones. I want that one. Imagine if you're a little child, and you have a, a toy, and it breaks, and you really wanted that toy. But later on that day, parents go to the mailbox and they open up a letter, and the letter says that child has just inherited $5 million from their great-great-grandfather. Does that satisfy the child? It doesn't. Because a child can't comprehend. The child wants the toy, right? That's all they want. And what happens is, the point is this, is that we, we're like that sometimes. We don't understand the resources available to us as children of God. We don't fully grasp what is available to us. And we get stuck on this one little position. We don't understand what God has done for us. The rights, the privileges that we have, the things, the things that satisfy our longest and most deepest desires, God is willing to give to us. Jesus talks about this over and over and over again. And even in James that we just studied, talks about things that God wants to give us things, that we have rights, and privileges as being part of our family. You have full access to God through Jesus Christ. I came across an old prayer book that said this. It says that God is more ready to hear you than you are to pray. God is more ready to hear you. In fact, Jesus says that in verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. You're not surprising God when you ask him for things. He knows the things that you're thinking about. He knows the desires you have. This week in uh, <clears throat> my Bible class, we did a little experiment, and it partially worked. But we had um, about, I think it was a minute or maybe two of silence in Bible class. <clears throat> and then I, afterwards, I asked the students, I said, where did your mind go? What things do you think about? And the point was this, that often in our solitude, the things that we think about in our solitude are the things that are the most important to us. And that what God is saying is, as your father, he wants to satisfy those deepest desires that we have. So the approach that you have is that you are in. You cannot get any more in than you are. You are fully in, fully accepted. Your life has been changed forever. We have, many of us here have a friend uh, that adopted uh, a little boy from South America or from Central America, from Guatemala. And with the adoption process, the boy's legal status changed and his life has changed forever. The access, the privileges that he has now being adopted into the family here in the United States 
His life is forever changed. And God says, how you come, your attitude towards prayer, that your Heavenly Father, your loving Heavenly Father, His unconditional love for you is always there. In fact, He wants to talk to you more than you know. The most important, maybe the most significant thing that you have when you have access to God or when you are part of His family is that you have God's unconditional love. Sometimes in the news you'll hear this, and it's, um, I think only a parent can understand this, but every once in a while in the news you'll hear about a really heinous, really horrible crime committed by a child. Something really evil and dark. But even when that happens, parents still love that child. There is an unconditional love. There is this longing and there's, there's a brokenness. But parents will forever love their children unconditionally. There's always access. You can always come home. No matter what. One of the things as, you know, as a parent we, that we would hope for our boys is that no matter what happens in life, that they can always come home that they are always loved no matter what choices they make, what happens, what foolish choices they make or mistakes they make in life, that they can always come home. And Jesus is saying to us all that he wants you to have a personal private prayer life that begins with this, our Father, that unconditional love is there. Next, Jesus goes on to say this then, specifically says, pray this way, our Father in heaven. And we'll just... just Look at this for just a few minutes here on hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is saying this, that the, those exact words don't have to be repeated, but the intent or the thought has to be valued. So the word hallowed, is a, it's a rare word. One of the things that's really interesting about this word hallowed, we probably haven't used it in a sentence, maybe ever or in a really long time, but... Even the, the newest translations, when you go back to even like the King James Version, they use that word. But even today in the most modern translations, they haven't gotten rid of that word. It's a significant word, okay? Let me give you a few definitions of it to help us understand. Uh, number one, it means sacred or ultimate. It means to value supremely the holiness of God. To treasure God as holy. To see Him as the ultimate that that's what should come first in our lives, our prayer lives. Jesus says that to begin your personal private prayer life, you want to begin with worship. You want to see God as the most weighty, the most heavy thing, as the most sacred thing, as the most crucial thing in your life. You want to see God at the center of your life, the supreme importance, the supreme beauty, we hallow God's name in our lives when we see him as the most beautiful, the most supreme, the ultimate thing in our lives. If we had a, an imaginary scale and we had on one side all the rocks, the stones, the dirt, the sand, the oceans of the world on one side, and then we have God's hallowed name the scales would fall like this, like this was air, as if this was nothing when we compare God's holiness. 
Jesus is saying there is something supreme and significant and ultimate that we can learn about God here, that we are to hallow his name, that he is to be the ultimate thing in our life. The prayer is this, God, whatever it takes to make you be the ultimate in my life, that's what I am praying for. It's a radical prayer. It's a risky prayer. It's a revolutionary prayer, a prayer that will change your life. God, how do I hallow your name in my life? God, how do I hallow your name in my dating relationships? How do I hallow your name? How do I make you ultimate in my marriage? How do we make God's name hallowed in our church? Well, we pray this together, this very personal prayer that says, God, I want you to be the supreme, the ultimate in my life. And the order is significant because even as Emerson says, what we worship will change our life. It will change what you ask. Jesus is going to say, yes, ask for lots of things, really important things, significant things, but before you do, hallow, pray that my name will be hallowed in your life. What's really interesting about this passage is that this phrase, hallowed be your name, it's the only, it's a command, it's an imperative. And it's the only imperative or the only command here where Jesus says, ask for a response in your heart, in your life, that you would see him as supreme. How do you do that in your dating life? If you're in a dating relationship, how do you make God's name be hallowed in that? Well, at the very beginning, you're going to say it's going to change your perception of that person, that that person you're dating does not exist to benefit you. And what happens when we're dating, we see each other, we're evaluating each other, which we should do in some sense, but we're evaluating a person based on how they make you feel. Jesus is saying this, hallowed be the name of God in every relationship of your life. Hallow the name of God. View God as ultimate in your marriage. Are you praying for your spouse? Are you offering forgiveness? Are you offering words of encouragement? Are you praying together? <clears throat> in, uh, I think it was in August that some of the leaders in the church uh, had our little getaway up in Mammoth. <clears throat> and we spent um, a good part of the time talking about how as leaders of a church we want to be praying with our wives and how much of a challenge that is. I guarantee you, if you are married here this morning, and I'm going to talk even specifically just to the men, to be guys who take initiative to be praying with their wives, to be praying that God's name would be the ultimate, that God would be the ultimate in their relationship. When you put your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, as the ultimate in your life, you put pressure on them to behave a certain way. You put unrealistic expectations upon them that will never satisfy and will just lead to tension and isolation and loneliness. That's why Jesus says in the very beginning that there is an order. While the words don't exactly aren't what is important, you don't have to pray, hallowed be thy name. You have to understand the point that God wants to be ultimate in your life, that God's name is to be made holy. There's nothing more important than this, this beginning phrase. That is, we think about our lives, that we are to see God as the supreme, the supreme love of our life, 
as the ultimate in our life. And there is a battle for that. Especially where we live in our culture today. There are so many things, like I said earlier, we, we just want it all. And as long, <clears throat> as long as God is helping me maintain my lifestyle of having it all, good friends, good fun, good job, everything's satisfying and deep, it won't satisfy. The consistency of your prayer life will, will reveal... I'll try some more time. The consistency of your prayer life will tell you who your God is. Are you only praying when that thing that you treasure the most is at risk? That might be functioning as your God. Jesus is saying this. When he says, hallowed be your name, here's another way to understand this. He's saying this. Demote your girlfriend. Demote your boyfriend. Demote your spouse. Demote your job. Demote your fun and elevate God as that supreme place in your life. Whatever whatever you are hallowing in your life, that is what is running your life. That is what is ruling your life. You might have to demote worry or anxiety or fear or loneliness. Again, this is why Jesus says, when he's talking about these first few phrases, he's talking about worship and what's ultimate in your life. Make it your prayer to make God be supreme, that your heart would be changed, that he would be viewed as the ultimate. That's number one, the first imperative. When you have your personal private prayer life, pray that God would be seen as ultimate in your life. Next he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. A radical, again, a radical change in our attitude. He says this, worship needs to come first or adoration comes first because Jesus wants us to give up control of our lives. In these beginning phrases, Jesus is saying this, let your will happen in my life. I found an old prayer by John Wesley. He says this, and this might, I'll say this, this might be like our worst nightmare for people living in Malibu. I am no longer yours, excuse me, I'm no longer my own, but yours. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to you, to your pleasure and disposal. A radical prayer when Jesus says, your kingdom come, thy will be done. And what we often forget is we we see here the first glimpses of the paradox of the gospel or the kingdom of God. If you have your Bible... Turn over one page to Matthew chapter 5, and let me just show you one thing about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
That's what we all want. We all want a life that is satisfying, where our desires and our dreams and our hopes are satisfied. But looks, if you pay attention carefully to what he says, he doesn't say, blessed are those who are blessed. All right? Blessed, blessed means you're like happy. So here's the trick, or here, here is the gospel paradox that we often lose sight of. We want our happiness, and we chase it by trying to make ourselves happy. What do we want that makes us happy? Well, if you're single, you want a, a, someone to date. And if you're dating, you want somebody to marry, right? And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. But you're always longing for more. You're, always, you're never satisfied. Jesus says there's only one thing that will satisfy you. People that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's Jesus' way of saying that people who want to serve God, that you make it your desire, your ambition, whether you have a lot, whether you have nothing, whether you're single, divorced, married, employed, unemployed, before you start praying for these really good things that God wants to give you, we're praying, hallowed be your name in my life, that you would be ultimate, that I would serve you, that I would seek after righteousness, that I would seek after the heart of God. That is the paradox. And that is where so many people, we just get tripped up and our lives just get messed up and they're up and down because we want to be happy so bad. We would just keep seeking things after ourselves and we keep looking for things to make ourselves happy. And we never are happy. Jesus offers this prayer to change our lives. It's as simple as this that God wants you to talk to him. That God wants, not memorization of this passage, although that's fine and that's good, but God wants a simple, a simple, beautiful, attentive conversation with you where you are saying, God, make you the ultimate in my life. Bring your kingdom here into my life. Help me to understand the paradox the upside-down-ness of the gospel. Our biggest mistake that we can make is just seeking happiness by chasing things that we think that will be happy but always leave us unsatisfied. Jesus is saying this in these first, verse 9 and 10, before and next Sunday we'll look at the things to ask for. But before we do the asking, and this is another part that causes frustration. Sometimes we pray and ask for things from God that God says no to. Listen, here's one thing that might be helpful, and this, I guess this relates to unanswered prayer. God is not going to give you an answer to your prayer to something that might take his place in your life. You might be single and you just so desperately want somebody God says no, because that person you want so bad is going to take the place of God in your life. Why would God give you something that you think you want that's going to take place of him? It's like, and I, say, I think I mentioned last Sunday, I've got power tools, and the boys really want to play with power tools, and I say, no, you can't, because it's too dangerous. And so God is not going to give you something to take his place. Jesus says this, before we ask for things, we want to stick your will. We want to put your will into the, the warm, fiery furnace of the love of Jesus. 
so that your will will be changed before your desires will be changed. So the things you're asking for line up according to his. Our desire is for control, to accomplish things we want to. And Jesus says, warm your heart near the fire of my love. The prayer is this, God cause the affections of my heart to be more in love with you, to see how ultimate you are, to raise up the affections of my heart, to see you as beautiful, as holy, and then come to that place where you can ask for things from me. The point of the passage is that God wants to be valued as ultimate. Jesus starts with worship, and then we can come and lay our desires at his feet and say, Father, help me, answer me. We can persistently pray and ask for things, but only only or until you see him as ultimate in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for uh, the simplicity and the beauty of this prayer to reach into our hearts. I pray that through the power of your spirit that our, our lives would be changed, that we would understand you as our loving father that wants to have a conversation with his children, that we would see you as our Father who unconditionally loves us, that wants us to be in your presence. Father, but I pray that before we come to you and ask for things, that we would see you as beautiful, that the affections of our heart, that our will would see you for who you are, the great I am the eternal one. Father, I pray that you would weigh heavy in our lives, that this, this beginning prayer would make you more beautiful to us, that the things of this world would become secondary, and that we would see you as ultimate. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.